welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 25. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-host tonight is... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Welcome, my friend. Um, we were just Thank you. wrapping, not actually wrapping, although I do rap sometimes, but we, well, I, I don't. So. <laughs> we were we were just talking beforehand about ghost stories, and now we're sufficiently creeped out um, and ready to record a horror podcast. This is perfect, Dave. Yeah. So thanks. Hey, we definitely did set the mood, and like I said, I'm sitting down here by myself. It's 11.16 p.m. at night, and everyone in my family's upstairs asleep, so I'm down here by myself recording. That's so Perfect. Awesome. I love it. Now, um, people are probably looking for the Wolfman, and he will not be on this episode, unfortunately, because he's actually wrapping up a documentary he's been working yeah. on. So he's in Hawaii, I think. Uh, he has a hard life. So. That I was going to say, man, that that's tough. Shooting a documentary in Hawaii, I do feel bad for. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, <laughs> I, I do have a little anecdotal story here for um, the listeners and for you, Dave, that just happened today here in my town. It's a true story. I mean, as we record this, this is just like a few hours old. I live in this quaint little suburb, actually, of Salt Lake City. And today there was some 22-year-old nut job standing outside of a gas station. And this is a gas station that I go to all the time. I have my kids with me all the time. Anyway, this guy was standing outside the gas station swinging, swinging around this samurai sword like he was Storm Shadow or something. <laughs> wow. he's, all, he's all Kill Bill Volume 2 in my neighborhood. And Jeez. Anyway, the cops were called, obviously, because he was clearly threatening and they showed up and he was ready to battle i guess and and they warned him they drew their guns and you know they blew him away and his body wow. ended up and, and you know of course i'm not making light of this but his body ended up on the front lawn of the chinese restaurant next door to that gas station and um i was thinking about that and i'm like there's so much weirdness to this story, and it's so ironic because I actually live in a very, um, like I said, it's a quaint little community. But I bet right. the fortune cookies from now on, their messages will say, "Never bring a sword to a gunfight." And they're, yeah, right. right? Like, <laughs> anyway, I'm picturing that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Exactly. Uh, yeah. With uh, Indiana Jones just drawing his gun. Yeah, it's and it's funny you mentioned that because a couple of weeks ago, I live in a even smaller time. I mean, this isn't even really a town. This is farmland where I live. But I was driving down every morning. I go and I uh, go down to the, we have a, a store, Wawa, it's called. And that's our um, convenience store, like local to this area. Mm -hmm. And I drive down there every morning. I get myself a, a coffee. I get one for my wife. Well, as I'm heading down, I see a woman off to the side in a vehicle talking to a policeman who is still in his car in front of this, what is a very nice big house yeah you know sort of in the middle of nowhere as i'm going down the street all of a sudden i see two more cop cars fly past me now this is a back road and then a third cop car stops lets me go past but i can see he's going to be stopping traffic from going down this road mm -hmm. 
Well, I found out later that there was a guy in a house, and I'm talking 6 in the morning or 6.15 in the morning, that he had barricaded himself in his house with a gun threatening to blow himself away. Wow. And that's what had led to all of this. And because you meant what you just mentioned there, and I mean, I'm talking this where I live. I don't even. It's I. 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 It's a stretch to call it a community. Yeah. You know, it's really just a sort of a collection of houses spaced apart, and uh, and that happens. That just happens everywhere, I guess. Yeah, that's very sad. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, watch out for swordsmen and yes, you know, gun wielders <laughs> and and so. I mean, there are all kind of horrors in the world, really, and and. It's- I really, there really are, because I was thinking today, I was driving home from work, and I stopped at a red light, and it gets real late at night, and it's just, there's nobody else around, all of a sudden, the car pulls up behind me, and I just found myself looking at it in the rearview mirror, thinking, you know, it's not that it's unusual that a car would pull up behind me, but it doesn't happen all the time at that time of night where I'm driving, mm-hmm. and I just was thinking, if this guy were to get out, I'm just watching him, and I'm like, if he gets out, I want to see if he's going to get out of his car, he could just come up and and put a gun right in the window and pull the trigger. I know, know, it'd be like I saw the devil, right? And I would and I'd never see it coming. It would just be boom and that would that would be it. I mean, everything. There could you're you're walking down the street, you don't know one of the houses in the distance. There could be a guy with a scope rifle and he's got it he's got it like right on you. I know. He's following you down the road. It's it's you just I mean, it's it's not going to happen in nine times, you know, it, it's not something that's that's normally happens. But we had a sniper killer um wrong like uh, I-95 like down in like the Washington DC area and all that years ago oh, yeah. and it turned out that it was a kid who was being trained by a guy and what they would do is they'd pull up with the car and the seat dropped down so nobody could see him mm-hmm. and he was practicing on and he would people would get out just going into a rest stop go to the bathroom get something to eat and boom and it was one of these sort of spinning bullets so it would like tear them apart um you know, just walking in to, to you know, get a donut or totally. go to the bathroom or something. Um, yeah, there's a film about that just last year, Blue Caprice, that oh, from really? tw- See, 2013. Be, it's very well made, and I, I think you'd enjoy it. Yes, I'd be interested in seeing that because I remember when that was happening. It's not that it was close to this area, mm-hmm. but it just puts everybody on edge thinking, well, why couldn't it happen in this area? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that movie's... Um, I mean, it's kind of a slow burn, and it, it's definitely a drama, like a crime drama, not a horror film. But I think you'd enjoy it, Dave, because of the way yeah. you feel about the cinema called Blue Caprice from 2013. Blue Caprice, I will definitely check it out. Yeah, you will love that movie. But um, yeah, so everybody, be on guard out there because you never know when horror is coming to your door. Like, right. Like right now, for example, in episode 25, this is another one of our Frankensteinian episodes which means that it's this little motley mix of horror movie hodgepodge. And tonight we're going to be covering some of the lesser lauded, lesser celebrated or lesser discussed 80s horror films just for kicks. Because Doc and I, you know, we're we're cool like that. And uh, everybody, everybody knows, everybody's really familiar with Friday the 13th and so forth. So we're going to talk about some of these a little bit rarer i mean these aren't super obscure or anything i'm sure you've heard about them and probably have even seen them but we just thought it'd be fun and you know that doc shock showed up here tonight with guns blazing ready to do this thing he's gonna blast out some horror movie reviews for you i've got a beastly freaks pick from the 80s so without further delay let's talk about some horror movies dr shock and uh you go first okay well uh i do have some obscure ones to talk about but i did want to just mention real briefly here, Jay, that I did watch a movie that I know you're very fond of, 
uh, recently. We covered it on um, Land of the Creeps, and it is from 1983, and it is Cujo. Oh man! I finally got uh, I, I, you know we I, I watched it. I hadn't seen I had seen it obviously a while ago, and and uh, I hadn't seen it in years. But this is a movie that you know it just it seems to get better. Yes. Each time I see it. You know, it it's 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 really well shot. Mm-hmm. It's 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 I mean, some of the shots in this are, are excellent. Yes. You know, I mean it was I think it was Jean DeBont uh was the uh uh director of photography, the guy who went on to direct like Twister and Speed and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the opening scene with the dog and the rabbit and he puts his head in that cave. I mean, that's really put together well. And you, you know, you know, the way you're following it, you know, the, the camera's following this rabbit as if it's like the point of view of the dog chasing it. I mean, it was pretty impressive. Yes. Um, but just how it devolves and, and the coincidences that get the two of them, the mother and the son trapped out there, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that the mother has really screwed things up oh yeah with her actions what what struck me as i was watching it this time and i mentioned this on the land of the creeps episode what really struck me this time is that it's you know obviously a parent will do anything to protect their child and this poor kid was going through a lot in the heat um and just being as scared as he was and that that young kid was a tremendous actor oh yeah you know what what he was able to do with as young as he was looking scared i mean you almost got the feeling that it wasn't acting yeah they were doing things to make this kid really frightened well yeah d wallace actually said that about danny pintaro that he was so young he was like something like what six at the time or yeah. something that that he actually would get kind of swept away in the drama and even though in between takes she would say now this is just a just pretend right we're just pretending and he'd be like yeah and so forth but anyway the scene would roll and the kid would just get carried away like it was a stream of emotion and and you could right. tell he's really freaked out good point oh yeah and and he was and he was excellent in that um <laughs> yeah. well, yes in an exploitative way yes in an exploitative <laughs> way yeah uh but but what really got me is it, it just hit me now. It's like, this is more than just a mother trying to protect her son. This is now a mother trying to protect who could be the last person on earth that like still wants anything to do with her sort of thing, you know, yeah, <laughs> with, with what happened with between her and her husband. Yes. I mean, this could be this, she could be, this is not just, okay, this is my son. This is, this is it. This is the, this is all I have left. This is the last one who looks at me and smiles. High and, stakes. and exactly. So <laughs> it makes it even, it even gets it, takes it to a different level. I think even, even a higher level than that. Uh, and then just what goes on with that dog. I mean, I would, I would have never thought in a million years, I'd be frightened of a St. Bernard. Yeah, seriously. There's just nothing about a St. Bernard that I would have found frightening prior to watching this movie. Mm-hmm. But wow, I mean, that, that thing with, with uh, that last, it's the last half of the movie basically is what it is. Well, my two favorite aspects about this movie, number one is that I love it that this movie was actually in, inspired by something that was very similar to real life. I mean, Stephen King was out um, getting something fixed. He went out to this, I think he was getting his motorcycle repaired or something. And he went out to this mechanic kind of out in the boonies and he had a scary dog and Stephen King, it just hit him that that would be a very 
very scary scenario in real life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's the first thing that I love about this is it's kind of inspired by reality, even though that didn't actually happen to him. But the other thing is, to me, this is the greatest, my favorite siege narrative of all time. It doesn't get any tighter than in that little car. And then, right. and then you got the kids, and I won't go into spoilers or anything, but there are, there's a ticking clock on this kid, and it's there's a real desperation in this film that's... Um, Oh man! And then and then something happens with with the mother and and the things that this this dog's able to do and then it mm-hmm. you know and, and and she opens the door she doesn't realize it's sitting like right in front of the car it's it's a very it's incredibly tense the whole second half yes there's just such tension to it <laughs> you know with everything I mean even going back you know the 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 the, the husband calling the house and the, what what's on his mind is who she with. Mm-hmm. You know, and then gets gets home, and and the guy who wanted, I mean, the, D. Wallace's character was having an affair uh, with like this local guy who actually the husband knew. Um, yeah, and friend. he gets home, and this, yeah, this local this, this guy she was having the affair with, she broke it off, and he didn't. He wasn't happy that she broke it off. He shows up at the house. Well, one of the first things he does is he he, he well, and the first thing he does is he grabs a knife and he trashes the house. He tears up the bed upstairs and everything. So the father gets home. He can't get a hold of him, and he walks in, and the house is trashed. I mean, what's he going to think? Yeah, exactly. You know, like oh, wow, they, is my family still alive? Did he drag them off? I mean, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and but but meanwhile, that has nothing to do with where they actually are. But it's just another thing, sort of leading them down a different path. I mean, the, the male guy was going to go out and deliver something to the house where they were trapped, and they say, "Oh, remember, we got to stop mail." So he stops like before he goes out there. <laughs> All of these things is leading up to them being isolated. Yeah, it's tremendous setup. Yeah, because all of the things people could say this is contrived, but I think that the things that happen could organically happen in a real life scenario. Oh, yeah. Well, with, so. with a car breaking down. Yeah. That happens all the time. Yeah. You know, and you get there, there's nobody there. Because, and what are you going to do? Yeah, because she's taking the car to the mechanic. So, I mean, right. the contrivance in this film, I think, is totally permissible because it's it's all credible and, you know, it, it, it could happen plausibly. So, sure. another thing I love about this is, you know, we all know that Stephen King is one twisted dude and, uh-huh. <laughs> and he writes things from a dark place, but... This was written from just a particularly dark time in his life where he was like just blasted. He was always like super drunk. He had alcohol addiction. And um and basically he's said a lot in a lot of different interviews that he doesn't remember a whole lot about writing this book because he was in such a dark place. Wow. And um and 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 that's why and the book is a little bit different from the film, which I don't want to go into, but um I actually wish that they would have just kept it 100% faithful to the book because um i just <laughs> i think i think well, i think the book is just uh the book is even more uh goes even further yeah 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 i understand the book has i don't know what it is but i understand the book has a different ending mhm yes it does okay so i'll just leave it at that okay but, <laughs> but, but yeah i mean suffice to say i mean he wrote this from a very dark place in his life. Wow. And, and that really shows, and I think it's present in the movie too. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. 
Anyway, so that that was one that I had seen recently. But anyway, the um, I do have an, an obscure one here. What did what did you rate, Cujo? Just curious, because me for me that's a ten out of ten. That's a buy it. It's in my top ten of all favorite all time favorite. I think I films. went. I think I went with. Um, boy, I don't remember now. I think I think it was like an eight point five. I mean, it was high. It was really high. And um, again, this is for not having seen it in a while. I think it was around an eight point five. It might have even been a nine. I can't remember completely, but uh, it was up there in that area. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, for me, it's like it, it's. I think I have it listed at my. I haven't looked at that list lately, but I think it's a, like my number two all time favorite horror film. It's two or three. It's definitely in my top five. Great, great pick. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, anyway, the, the one I was uh, looking to talk about here, and the two movies I was going to discuss are, are sort of along the same theme. Um, this is a movie from 1988 called Slime City. Welcome to Slime City, home to the derelicts of society. I need some money. And land of murdering, melting monsters. With an appetite for whores, bums, and junkies. When Alex moves into an apartment haunted by the occult, he is seduced by spirits and slowly becomes a hideous, slime-spattered demon. Alex, you're hurting me. No, I'm killing you. With a stomach for evil. Fed up with this urban cesspool, Alex's girlfriend demands he pick himself up and escape the bloodthirsty supernatural forces around him. But the only way out of Slime City is for the innocent to confront the putrid powers of darkness. The 80s grindhouse classic by the doctor of gore, Gregory Lamberson, is back and digitally remastered in all its repugnant glory. Take a trip to Slime City for the most gruesome and disgusting climax you will ever see. Okay, it's directed by Greg Lambertson. And <laughs> what it is, I mean, it's 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 a sort of a gross-out kind of movie. Yeah, I, have, right? not, I have not seen this. I'm really this excited. Is, this is one I just came across. I actually well, I have it on DVD. I did cover it on the blog recently. Um, and I watched it. Um, what it was, the trailer really pulled me in. The trailer has all of this sort of drippy, gooey gore, all of this crazy stuff happening, and you're just sort of preparing. Even the poster, uh, the poster is is this girl. There's a, there's a severed head on the ground with all of these like uh, innards underneath it, and she's got a knife above it, ready to like just come down and 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 stab the head and like stab it right through the brain. Um, but okay, awesome. the, the setup is there's a college student, his name is Alex, and um, he's looking for an apartment and he's found one that he really likes. You know, he right now he lives on, on campus, he shares a dorm room with his pal Jerry, uh, but he's looking for a place on his own. It's only a few minutes' walk from his girlfriend, her name is Lori, and um, it's a few minutes uh, from where he works. And what's really cool is he works in a, in a video store. Oh, nice. So you got sort of that whole setup there too. You get to walk in, you see all the video boxes on the shelves and everything, which is which is pretty cool. Um, but anyway, um, after he moves in, you know, he he notices there's just something a little weird about this place. You know, uh, he he it, he's got this a neighbor Roman. Uh, Roman cooks a meal for him. 
you know. But it turns out that it's what it is is, is this green sort of mucusy pudding oh. and a glass of wine. That's what it is. He eats it. It's like, okay, it's fine. But the wine was actually – it's not even just a regular wine. It's a wine that was bottled by a former – someone who used to live in the building. Okay, this, and he was a cult leader. And years earlier, he had convinced his followers uh, to commit suicide down in the basement. Mm-hmm. They all killed themselves down in the basement. So that night after he eats this stuff, he has a really strange dream. Um, but when he wakes up, he, he finds that he's like – it's almost like he's melting. <laughs> he's got this sort of slimy, clear substance all over his body. It gets worse. The you know, it just gets worse and worse. It gets progressively worse. The only thing that that seems to help him is he commits a murder. He goes out and he murders this this vagrant. It's just living out in the alley. He, I think he had given him some change earlier. Okay. And he goes out and and he kills him. As soon as he kills him, he returns to normal. But then after a while, he starts to transform again. And, and each time he does it, he's, it's like he has to kill somebody. And he, well, obviously, he wants to know what's going on. Why is this happening? Um, and there is a very specific reason why it is happening. So it's, ki- um, it's kind of, um, it sounds like a little bit like, you know, like a vampire type film with that setup where it's like they, they feel like they have to feed and then they feel normal again. And yes. then they start getting really edgy and vampiric. Exactly. And- it's, it's along that lines. Exactly. That's what it's like. Now, I've set this thing up, but I have to tell you, it's not a movie I think I could ultimately recommend, uh, unfortunately. Oh. Um, and and it's, you watch, if you watch the trailer, this is the biggest problem I have with it. If you watch the trailer... You see every scene worth watching. Oh. <laughs> every single scene worth watching is in the trailer. So you they can... hold nothing back <laughs> as far as and, – and there are no – there's no gore, no like real sort of crazy thing, n- nothing really insane going on aside from what the scenes that you see in the trailer. So, A couple moments maybe kept out of gore, but for the but they happen during the scenes that 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 the trailer touches on. So, I mean because when I watched the trailer I'm like, "Oh my god, this is going to be insane. This is going to be great. All this crazy stuff going on." Uh-uh. It's maybe about like <laughs> 5 minutes worth of insanity crammed into a 90-minute movie. The rest of it is him trying to figure out what's going on, him going to his girlfriend's house for dinner talking to his friend, all of this stuff, just trying to figure out how the, how do the neighbors fit in and everything. It's just not what I was expecting. Yeah. You know, so it was a definite disappointment. Well, the weird thing about this, and this is something I've been thinking about and the film that I'll be talking about next is, is kind of suffers from this same thing. I understand that for kill scenes and things like that, that, there's only so much budget. There's only so much time, you know, so many resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so they have to spread that out. And you got a lot of just expositional, boring stuff in between. But the thing is, with what you've described here in Slime City, it seems like they could have done a lot more to spice those scenes up without it, it being boring. And it could be inexpensive as well. Well, definitely, you know, because there are the effects that two like I even put in here. One of the things I liked about it is there are some some really gross out, uh, sickening images in this movie. They're so sickening 
that not even bad special effects can ruin them, and there are bad special effects. This is like ultra low budget. Okay. And this is like ultra, ultra low budget toward a filmmaking. I mean, there's a scene where the uh, what happens is uh, Alex. Um, well, I don't want to go too far in it, but there's a character who ends up his intestines fall and he ends up tucking them back in. Ooh. Well, they don't look anything like intestines. Right. But yet, and then you could tell it's just sort of a fold in the stomach that's putting them in. But it is so nauseating that it doesn't really matter because it's still having the same effect. <laughs> yeah, it's still gross. It's still, it's, still, it's still gross and it's still working on you. Even though it's clear that it's not real, there's just still something about the way they were shooting it or the way the actor was carrying off, whatever, that it's still just disgusting enough that it works. <laughs> so to their credit, that the filmmakers were able to do with, with what gore they did and with like sort of the, the disgusting things they did, they were able to make it work with the low budget mm-hmm. that they had. It's just that they spent too much of the movie. You know, and there are scenes that just don't make sense. He's sitting there with his um, girlfriends, uh, parents. He's met them for the first time. They're having a meal. And all of a sudden, he starts to ooze, and he drips onto the plate. Mm. Well, he says, I, I have to go. So he walks out of the door. <laughs> in the very next scene, I mean, cut, and then the very next scene, he's walking into his apartment, wrapped up like the Invisible Man in the opening scene of The Invisible Man. Yeah. Completely wrapped like that, leading a prostitute into his house who you know he's going to kill her. And you're like, continuity. (laughs) Exactly. You're like, okay, how much time has passed from where he was? How did he wrap? When did he get a chance to wrap himself? Mm -hmm. Uh, All of these things. It's like when when you're sitting there and and, and that's all you're doing is asking the questions. The movie's not working, obviously. You know, but that's all they did. They took him from walking out of his girlfriend's apartment to walking into his apartment, looking like the Invisible Man from the first scene of The Invisible Man, leading a prostitute in there. When did he pick her up? When did he wrap himself? How long is this? Is this a day later? Is it two days later? Is it an hour later? <laughs> it's weird that um there are certain things that kind of show up or recur in movies. Like that that scene that you described, how he was at the you know, having dinner with the parents of his girlfriend, right? Uh, there's uh-huh. a scene just like that in, in f- that movie Frostbitten that we reviewed a few episodes ago from 2006. And, oh, okay. it, and it's yeah. kind of the same thing where he's dealing with this um, monstrous affliction <laughs> while he's having this very, you know, high-pressure dinner because he's got to, you know, perform well at the with the potential in-laws. Uh-huh. That's interesting. But, you know, I hear what you're saying. So, unfortunately, I think if I were to rate this, um, it's going to be below par. I'm going to give it some props for being low budget and doing what it did. But I would recommend seeing the trailer Mm -hmm. for Slime City. Again, it's from 1988. See the trailer for Slime City. Look it up on YouTube. It's out there. I'll link it. Okay. And that is, you will see everything worth seeing pretty much in that trailer. (laughs) <laughs> You're not going to see much more aside from that. But I'm going to say a four. It still has to be in a void, you know, because of ultimately. Uh, and I hate to start with an avoid, but this is just one I happen to watch <laughs> recently. So yeah. um, it, it just doesn't. It, it, if, if they had, even if they had done double of what was in the trailer, I might even give it a recommend like a rental. <laughs> but they don't. It's just what you see in the trailer. That's what you're going to get in the movie. Yeah. Plus, like it's a three-minute trailer. 
uh, so you're getting 87 minutes of other things that really just don't it's not what you wanted. When you look at this trailer, they sell it one way. And when the movie comes up, you're not looking for sort of a, um, you, you know, sort of a, uh, I, I'm going to call it a supernatural whodunit. It's not, I guess it's just technically that. That's not what you're, that's not the impression that you get watching that trailer, that that's what this movie is going to be like. Well, the the cover art that I see is more of a purple and green one. And it shows yes. his invisible man bandages and stuff. Um, it's so appealing to me. There's something so bright and colorful and playful. It almost looks, it's kind of along the lines of a Goosebumps thing. It almost looks like it's for younger kids or something. But it As is appealing. Fact, I'm, I'm going to send you right now, Jay, if you can bear with me for one second here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send you a link. Um, it's on my blog, but look at the poster. And okay. this is the, this is how they're selling it with with this uh, with the poster. Okay. And take a look at the at the at what's going on in this poster here. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, and you can tell by the poster that it's very low budget. Yes, but that's yes, intriguing. Definitely. Yeah, you know, with, with the girl sort of straddling the head, holding it still, <laughs> about to bring a knife down into this severed head that is still alive and still talking. With all of these innards under the chin there. Uh, I'll tell you what I'll do for the listeners. In the uh, artwork for this episode, I'll have the green and purple one, which is okay. more tame. But I'll link them to your to your write-up here of it so okay. they can see this cover too. Because it is worth checking it out. So check out in the show notes and go to Dr. Shock's site and um, <laughs> take a look there. And you can actually see the trailer there too. Because I have that on the, uh, oh. on the review as well. Perfect. Okay, that sounds no, so, good. But uh, yeah, ultimately it would. Uh, it's one that, uh, unfortunately, and I was really hoping it would be. I kind of like these sort of gross-out movies from the eighties. There's just something so cool about them, and uh, I don't even care about the low budget or anything. If if they do it the way they can do it, or the, or the way that they said, the way it seems as if they're going to do it in the trailer. Um, but this one just ultimately didn't deliver. Well, the eighties horror is hands down my, my favorite era of horror. That decade Mm -hmm. is just, um, if somebody said to me, and I like the modern stuff too, especially in the aughts, I thought there was a lot of good horror in the two thousands that, you know, the first 10 years or whatever. But if somebody Mm -hmm. said you could only have one decade of horror, what would it be? I I just have to say the eighties, I think. Yeah, I, I would... I would agree. I mean, if um, if if I would, you know, if I'm looking at my uh, well, obviously our our favorite all time is from the '70s. Yeah, and that would be you know, that would be sad and that regrettable. Would be a, a hard thing to give up, but um, but they but, do they retread in Texas Chainsaw Two, which is in the '80s. I mean, yep. they basically retread a lot of what's in the first one. Not not even as well, of course, but I mean, yeah. you get a similar film. So I guess I would have to live with that. Okay. And when actually my number two film of all time is, is George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So that would be another one I'd have to give up because I think oh. that's 78. But I'd still have John Carpenter's The Thing, there which is go. right up there for me. And that's worth it. Plus other John Carpenter movies. The like, Shining, uh, Friday the, the 13th. And the Shining, yeah. all of the Friday the 13th <laughs> that are worth seeing. Uh, Prince of Darkness mm-hmm. by John Carpenter. There's a lot of stuff in the in the 80s. Maniac. Um, That's right. Uh, the slashers. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much any slasher. Where I mean, obviously Halloween would not be there, and that would be another tough one to give up. Right. Uh, and Black Christmas, we wouldn't have that. But we would have 
the burning, the prowler, exactly. Uh, um, maniac. We, you know, uh, my bloody Valentine, the Friday the Thirteenth, um, others of uh, of the Halloween series. You know, from Halloween two on, um, oh, for, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street. Th- this is where a lot of the franchises, you know, took off. We would have just missed Alien, but we'd still have Aliens. Yes, which is you strange. know, so th- there's there's a lot of stuff. In the eighties, that it, I don't know that Motel I don't think Hell, it, Motel Hell. That's yes. right. That's that. That's <laughs> yeah, another that. one. Um, <laughs> just everything, you know. Like uh, it would be hard to pick another decade over the eighties. I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there are movies that like we're sitting here going, oh, we'd miss this in the seventies and everything. The seventies is close. The seventies is real close. Yeah. But um, especially when you consider that seventy nine is when Zombie came out, you know. So well, it's like it's cl- so close. There are some like gigantic films, like there are some huge monumental horror films in the seventies. But I will say, and I'll talk about this later on in the episode. But I've been working on some preparation for our best horror films of the seventies episode, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stuff in the seventies that's just. Um, for lack of a better word, this sounds like lazy criticism, but it's just boring. It's very uh-huh. sparse and spare, and it's more of a drama <laughs> with thriller elements than than horror. And and so there's there, some. There's a lot of '70s stuff that's kind of like snooze fest stuff too. But those few highlights are so big and so high yeah. that it's like you can't disregard it for sure. Exactly, and some of them, like we're saying, is just is '79. Like just into the just into the seventies, like yeah. like Fulci Zombie and um, Alien, right? You know all of all of these movies that, um, <laughs> but still, push comes to shove. I don't see how you could pick a decade. Oh, I'd be interested to see what the listeners have to say, but I don't think you could pick a decade over the eighties. Yeah, I mean, I, I everything that's that's out there. And, and by the way, I mean, lest <laughs> unless the people misunderstand me here, I mean, seventies is tremendous, especially oh, compared yeah. to the nineties. Because well, like, yeah, the nineties is the nineties. <laughs> you had Candyman, you had Scream, you had a couple. Yeah, you, you had a couple. You had some good movies in the nineties, mm-hmm. but they were much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were fewer and far between Wishmaster, which I enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, but there are fewer and far between um, the eighties. There was just a time period there where they were turning these things out and they were, you know, the, the slashers that's, this is the, this is the, 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 the decade of the slashers. And yes. Uh, and plus let's not forget evil dead. Yes. You know, this is yes. when, this is when evil dead uh, and evil dead two came out where it was, it was in the eighties. So, um, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, when you look at like the really uh, influential horror movies, yeah, absolutely. I think this is this is the time period that uh, that you're looking at, and then the, the 70s and 80s, it definitely is. But the 80s, there's just something there's just something great about it. Yeah, and and then you even had like really crazy stuff, like um, <laughs> for example, a Cannibal Holocaust. I mean, yes, you had that. that's right. And then Mother's Day, which is um, ooh. I mean that's not a great film, but no, it's but bizarre. Trauma. Yeah, it's, you get trauma it's, sort of came up in the eighties, you know, with with um, Toxic Avenger and mm-hmm. and the Class of Newcom High, which is actually my personal favorite of all Troma's films, is the Class of Newcom High. Mm-hmm. I saw that one so much on cable back then. Um, but and that's another thing, even and the video craze that came out in the late eighties, where you had the Scream Queens of Linnea Quigley and Brink Stevens, mm, um, where. 
where they hit, you know, with like uh, sorority babes in the slime bowl, uh, slime ball <laughs> bowlerama, and nightmare sisters, and yes. and uh, space girls from beyond infinity, and all these other sort of crazy movies that were direct to video. Yeah. Um, but yet we're still doing things just as crazy as as they were doing in 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 the movies, just to just to try to get their foot in the door. You know, we I, bet- I, I, we better say Nightmare on Elm Street before people get mad. Oh, I did say Nightmare okay, on Elm Street good. earlier. Okay, I good. I Nightmare on Elm Street out there. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I just, as as much as I, I love the first film, mm-hmm. I absolutely love the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it is a classic. I think Wes Craven should, should you know, kudos to him for coming. That is an absolute classic, the first Nightmare on Elm Street. But as a series, it just doesn't do it as much for me as the other series. I'm do. with you. I'm with you. You know, it just doesn't, it just, it doesn't have the same draw as Halloween, as Friday the 13th, even as Scream. If I were to pick what I think is like Wes Craven's best series, it's, it's Scream over, um, you know, cause there's something I like in every one of the Scream movies and the yeah. first two I really like. Right, right. And, but, but they all have something worth seeing, I think. In the Scream movies, I can't say the same thing about the Nightmare on Elm Streets. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, some of them are atrocious. And sure, some of the Friday the 13th are <laughs> atrocious, too. But it's almost as if, if you look at it percentage-wise, I think that the, like the, the Nightmare on Elm Street series is, has – it's almost – Close to like 50 50 of good to bad or something. <laughs> Whereas with Friday the 13th, you get like the first four, which are great. Yeah. Um, and then you get number number five, which let's forget that because it's an absolute, it's absolute garbage. <laughs> but then six gets a little better and seven gets a little better than that. And yes. you got that going on. And then the Halloween, it's changing it up and doing different things in there, you know, with which we'll get into that at a, at a later date. Yes, we will. Um, but <laughs> these, these, the series like that are, are doing. I think some some interesting things. Um, it just didn't, and some of them, some of these things, you wish I, I, I kind of wish, almost wish that they would have done like another My Bloody Valentine from back. Then. I so love the original My Bloody Valentine. Oh, I just absolutely love that movie. Me too. Um, and how cool would it have been to see a, a sequel to like something like The Prowler? Or the burning, or something like the, these exactly. movies. It would have been nice to see them take. I mean, yeah, the guy dies at the end, but they never stopped Jason. They never <laughs> stopped Michael Myers. How many times did they die? Exactly. You know, so well, there has to be a way to bring them back. That does it. That does it. We're gonna have to. I tell you what, we'll do. We're gonna have to put a poll question up and see which decade of horror the the listeners would pick. You know, we'll yes. we'll vote and and see what people would want if they could only. They could only watch for the rest of their lives horror movies from one decade. Which which would it be? And I think it was in the eighties where the schism came between horror cinema and quote respectable unquote cinema, because mm-hmm. that was it was the slashers that that started. You know, we've gone over this ad nauseum now. Right. Uh, but it was the slashers that had like the Ebert and uh, Cisco and Ebert coming out against horror. Um, whereas, you know, like, like critics sort of were embracing some of the movies from the seventies, Yeah, you know, like some of the horror movies in the seventies, Halloween was, you know, saw a lot of critics in, uh, liked that movie. At least, uh, I know Ebert liked that movie. He mm-hmm. gave it a good review. Four stars. Uh, yes. That's right. Yeah. And even like in the things like the late sixties, like Rosemary's baby, you look at sort of the, the, the big movies from the sixties and seventies, not all of them. 
but a lot of uh, it's almost like the critics weren't quite to the point that they were just dismissive of the whole thing. Yeah, they, well, they stopped seeing it as art house type cinema. They start they stopped seeing the artistic merit, and mm-hmm. then they just saw exploitation and trash. And, and I think with I think with Ebert, maybe the cut came. And I guess it was in the in the seventies with um. Uh, well, no, because that was earlier than Halloween. But I know he obviously he detested "I Spit on Your Grave." Yeah, yeah. He, you know that was like one of the that, and I think Caligula, where I think two of the more scathing reviews. And North, <laughs> he didn't like <laughs> Rob Rogers North either. Exactly. Um, but though, like the as far as um, you know, Caligula and um, "I Spit on Your Grave," I think were two of the most scathing reviews that I read. <laughs> yes, that's that, true. That well, I, I tell you what, then, so listeners. Just vote on our poll. I'll put it in the show notes for this episode, episode 25. It'd be cool to see uh, which decade you would opt to uh, watch horror. Yeah, I I would be interested because I I think the 70s will get quite a few. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people probably. And the new new millennium. I think the first, the aughts. Yeah. I I think that'll get quite a few, too, because a lot of strong movies that came out in the first 10 years of this millennium. A lot of strong horror. And. And we've talked about this a lot before, too. And I think that was a big part of that was like following 9-11. I mean, I think there is just to put it in a simple terms. I mean, that's that's really, I guess, oversimplifying it. But, you know, our cinema kind of mirrors the feeling of society. So I, I, I don't disagree. I think it definitely played into it a lot. I think what movie was at? I want to say I think Jeepers Creepers was actually playing at that time. Oh, yeah. When in 2001. Yes, yes, I th- it was playing. I'm pretty sure that Jeepers Creepers was in theaters because I remember talking yeah. um, uh, back and forth to a guy I used to work with, and he actually reads the blog regularly. and And he mentioned about how um, when you know 9/11 it hit uh, him and his. I guess it was his, um, they had just gotten married, and they were away, and they went and took in a movie, and Jeepers Creepers was the movie that that they saw. Yeah. Um, and Jeepers Creepers for me, I actually like both of the Jeepers Creepers movies. Mm-hmm. I think the first one, especially at the beginning. Oh yeah, that's tremendous. Oh my god, that just what that but, is like edge of your seat stuff. It is, but I also like how in the second one it's kind of a siege. There's a little bit of siege yes, narrative is. there with the school bus, but I tell you, and it works, and it works well. We should cover those at some point in a future episode. But yeah, it was August 31st of 2001. Is when Jeepers Creepers hit theaters. That so makes yeah, sense. it was yeah. it was in theaters there during September 11th. Wow. Oh, crazy! But yeah. any anyway, so with the 80s here, I got one for you, um, Doctor Shock, and it's oh. kind of it's comparable actually. It's comparable a little bit to Slime City, and so this is going to be uh, my little segment. Jay of the Dead's beastly freaks. Okay, just to clarify, my my Beastly Freak segment is not always a recommendation. And I will say, too, that this particular Beastly Freak movie is a little unusual in that it's it's actually a demon. Now, um, a lot of times it's some kind of a creature, but to me, the look of this creature or the components that make it up kind of qualify it for a Beastly Freak in my book. So... This movie is called Rawhead Rex, and it's from 1987. What I saw wasn't human. Oh, my God. He was very tall. 
And what's more, it saw me. This thing. Rawhead Rex. I still say this is one of the most memorable VHS cases back in the video store days. Now, do you have you do you remember this movie, Dr. Shock? I have to be honest, I don't. I don't know that I've seen Rawhead Rex. Okay. All right, yes, it's called Rawhead Rex. Now, the first thing people want to ask, um, you know, you can check out the cover art there. There's a cool cover art and then there's a bad cover art and I kind of want to put both. I don't know what I'll end up doing in the artwork, but anyways, I'll I'll link them both if if I don't put them in the artwork. But um, the cool cover art is kind of like the poster, and then there's the one that's like the VHS <laughs> type cover that that I remember seeing for some reason. Okay. And and he actually the first thing is the creature looks horrible in this, but there are there are moments, there are certain shots. Where it's okay, and on the 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 cover there, if you look it up on IMDb, um, it kind of looks okay, and you're like, okay, well maybe maybe this isn't bad. <laughs> but um, the first question people are probably asking is, you know, what is uh, what's this whole raw head Rex thing <laughs> all about? Well, um, this comes from a, a Clive Barker story. Okay, there was like, I guess there was a short story of his and called Rawhead Rex, which I have not read, by the way. But he ended up, you know, a lot of people like it and it's really good, I guess. And he ended up um, writing the screenplay for this film. Okay, now, uh, just out of curiosity, side note, Dr. Shock, are you a Clive Barker fan? Oh, well, I'm a, I, uh, I'm a big fan of the Hellraiser. Mm -hmm. uh, one and two. I actually like both of the first two movies of Hellraiser. And um, Midnight Meat Train. Yes. I really enjoyed that movie, too. So I'd have to say, yes, I, I am. And I can't wait for his version of Nightbreed to come out. Oh, yeah. I had done it for the it, it To me, it is a, it, in its current state, it is a flawed film. I can see why people like it as much as they do, why it's got a following. Yeah. Sort of a cult following. Mm -hmm. But for me, it just it, – there are scenes that, that just seem sort of – thrown together at toward the beginning after reading about where Clive Barker wanted to go with that movie and how they wouldn't let him go there. They're finally putting it out on Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure it's Scream Factory has like his version of the movie and I can't wait to see it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta talk about that when that hits. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So for people who don't know Clive Barker, I'm sure everybody knows, but just in case <laughs> he's a, a very uh, popular horror writer. I mean, he wrote the, um, like like Dave said, he, he's written things for like, let's see, Hellraiser, Candyman. Um, th that's some of his biggest stuff right there. And Candyman is, is excellent. The first Candyman, I think, is excellent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, and then, and then you mentioned the Midnight Meat Train, which is something I really like. That was a, a short story, and it was mm -hmm. adapted into a film, and uh, that's a strong film as well. Anyway, yeah, he, he's, um, I think he's got a good sense. I, I like his writing and yeah, um, yeah. I, I think he's cool. So anyway, this Raw had Rex as a Clive Barker uh, creation. And, and, and basically where he gets that from, the whole Raw, because I'm like, what, what is a Raw head? And why is his name Rex? I mean, that's, right. that's weird. <laughs> well, <clears throat> apparently like the boogeyman 
in different parts of the world, like in the, the UK, I think maybe it's Ireland or something, um, sometimes called um, bloody bones or raw head or Tommy raw head or just raw head. And, and it's used oh. as like um, kind of one of those cautionary cha- tales to scare children. And, and this whole raw head creature it is supposedly he eats um, children who misbehave. It's one of those things where you scare, oh, okay. s- scare your kids into um, <laughs> submission. I guess when I did a little bit of research on it, the Oxford English Dictionary cites back to um, 1550 as the earliest written appearance of like raw head or bloody bone. But anyway, so in this movie, it is... It is set in Ireland. Now, I guess Clive Barker actually wrote this. He wanted it to take place in the summertime in England, right? And they're like, well, actually, we're going to film it in February in Ireland, right? Wow. And and I guess he was kind of ticked off about that because his vision for this, it's kind of a a tongue-in-cheek like sexual comedy, so to speak. Uh I mean, there's a lot of like sexual-related undertones that are intended in there. But okay. but they, they kind of missed all that, I guess, according to Clive Barker's critiques of this film. And and they said it in Ireland. But the first thing I want to tell people is this is beautiful. I mean, you you've heard a lot that Ireland's a beautiful place, but you know, this is this is released in nineteen eighty seven. So it was shot around eighty five or eighty six, and it looks really good. Like the look of this film, it, it feels like one of the '80s movies that you would revere, like mm. as far as the the environment and the atmosphere. Well, that's all completely ruined and blown when you see the monster, right? Okay. But um, now this movie is kind of hard to find, but th- they do have a full version of it on YouTube, so you can watch it for free. And it's not too bad. I mean, it's a little. It's in the square. How do how do you call that? When it's in a square shape rather than a, you know, like the letterbox. When the screen oh, is oh, like. It's um, like, t- it would be, they call it full screen. Yeah. When it's like, yeah, like yeah, <laughs> it's a square. It's, what I love is when you get those, um, you get those things now, the beginning of them when it's, you know, it could be pan and scan, but it's mm-hmm. full frame, full screen is what they call it. Right. Is you get that. The screen and that the movie has been altered so that it fits your screen. Right. It don't. It doesn't fit anybody's screen anymore. That's so. So now they get now the people who bought that originally now are stuck with bars on the left and right as yeah. opposed to the top and bottom. Yeah, that's super annoying. But yeah, so I mean, if you do watch it on YouTube, and I'll link that in the show notes for episode twenty-five, just in case you want to check this out. Um, you know, it's. It's not the picture quality isn't too bad. I mean, I've seen a lot worse on YouTube. I'll say that. But anyway, because because I actually had a hard time tracking this down otherwise. But but anyway, um, so this guy, the the premise is you've got this um historian. He's a writer, and he brings his family along with him, his wife and his son and daughter, and they go to Ireland because he wants to study. Um, he goes to these various churches. And he wants to study like the stained glass windows and the and the writing and so forth. Oh. Um, I mean, he's got this this book he's writing. I, I I I can't believe it actually escapes me right now what he was actually looking to do. But um, <laughs> that's fine. It doesn't really matter. the The point right. is, is that he's a he's a historian, and um, so he's there, 
and there's this farmer it opens the inciting incident i guess is there's this farmer who has this big statue like this monolithic statue in his field and he tries to take it out because he's trying to (laughs) plow his field and grow crops and when he um knocks over this giant stone this demon is buried under it he's kind of stuck under it oh wow and he like raises up out of the ground and in that shot he looks pretty cool and i'm like you know when you watch that you're like oh rock and roll i got a cheesy 80s movie here that's gonna be kind of awesome right? yeah that's awesome yeah and and it, and it looks good the monster looks good because he's got mud all over his mask well in the next scene it's like he took a shower or something because when you see the monster's face it is the worst i mean it is such a cheap plasticky looking mask he's kind of a mix between he looks like donkey kong basically i mean he's kind of ape like okay um he's really muscle bound i mean they cast a big muscle bound actor and then they've got those pads you know that fake muscular chest that kids wear at halloween when they want to be he-man or something Uh (laughs) anyway he's got those (laughs) on him dave and and it's it's just it's horrible but and they've got it glowing red eyes and i just can't say enough i can't warn you listeners enough how bad this creature looks it actually looks worse than the fish in that movie beneath that i reviewed recently (laughs) but wow but anyway um Every once in a while, though, like they'll shoot it from an angle and it won't be in the bright daylight. And it's like, oh, well, I guess it kind of works. Anyway, his thing is supposedly this monster's thing is to eat kids. I will say there's not a lot of kid eating in this movie, which is, um, I guess, a little bit disappointing because that's kind of like his calling card. And basically they have to battle this. It's terrorizing the town. It's not a great film. Um there's a nostalgia to it. It's really kind of fun to watch it. And I think it's exactly one of these movies. You'll know what I'm talking about, Dave. It's one of these movies where if you watched it in the eighties, when you were coming up, I mean, I think we rented this at some point because like, I've always remembered this, the cover art to this. Cause it's, it's one of the ones when you go in the video store, you're like, Oh, this is easy. I'm definitely getting this. When yeah, exactly. That, that was one of the great things about videos. We talked about it before. That that was exactly when you're a kid. You're like, oh, okay, that's the one I'm getting. And and that exactly. I think a lot of people feel that way about Rawhead Rex. So if you have that affection for it, like I, I feel this exact same way about Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I mean, that's a really dumb movie, but I will always love that movie. It's one of my favorite <laughs> guilty pleasure movies. I don't care what anybody says. Because I watched that a ton on HBO in the 80s or whatever. So um, I think this is kind of the same thing. If you're popping this in now and you're seeing it for the first time, you're going to hate life for the whole time it's on pretty much. But um, So I give it a 4 out of 10. And I, I call it a very, very low priority rental. I mean, just very low so rent it, but but you, Dave. I mean, you're the kind of guy you love the cinema so much. Yeah, I could I, see I, you. I would want to check it out. I definitely yes. would like to see it. Yeah, this is this is one that should be reviewed on your blog. I think. Okay. <laughs> For sure. I will make a note of it. Okay, so that's Rawhead Rex. Four All out right. of ten. Um, you know, renter beware. But. <laughs> What do you got for us next, Dave? Okay, well, coming up, actually, just real briefly, and maybe you've heard about this already, but I, I just personally found out. I just saw it on Twitter that uh, 
Richard Keel died. Yes. I just, I did not realize that. This is the first I'm hearing about it. It was Jaws and James Bond, but mm-hmm. he also appeared in what is considered, I think, one of the worst movies ever made. And it's considered a uh, somewhat of a horror movie, although it's not horror horrific at all. It's it's more it's funny than anything is Ega. Oh yeah, we played the title <laughs> character in Ega. Yes. Um. Yeah. It's it's a, that's a shame. I mean, he was seventy four, and he was a he was a big guy. Yeah, really, kind of a giant. He's like seven foot two, I think, and uh, he died today as we record this, September tenth. We just found out about it, and um. Yeah, what's weird about this though is he wasn't in a ton of horror films. No. And and that's so surprising because, you know, and I, I mean no disrespect, but the, the guy looks like um he he's just an imposing figure. He he, he looks you unnatural. You could have seen him like in he would have been perfect in in say a Bigfoot outfit. Mhm. Oh yeah. You know, totally. in a Bigfoot movie or something, you know. Yeah, but for example, he was in like he was in I See Here on IMDb. He was in House of the Damned from 1963. Yes, which, which I remember seeing. I Actually, that was one of the early movies I did on the blog. I did House of the Damned. He made that the year after he made Ega. Yeah, Ega. <laughs> which I'll tell you what, Ega, if, if, you wanna, if you want a movie that you can just laugh at, <laughs> okay, that you could just have, get some friends over, get some beers and have a good time laughing at a movie, Ega is that movie. You know what? Uh, they are not going to listen to you after what we put them through with well, Jan Gal. Let me tell you, John, Jan Gal, <laughs> let me tell you Jan Gal is like, it's not funny bad, it's just bad. Right. It's you know, painful. This Ega is funny bad. Okay. Because there are things happening in this and that, that are just so, <laughs> you, you will laugh. Now, Mystery Science Theater 3000 did do, um, they have a DVD out of Ega. You know what they had done that on the show, of course. Mr. Science Theater three thousand. They did a really good job with it. It's hilarious. Um, they were a little mean to the star. <laughs> I'm trying to think who was the the uh, the young star. His father was actually the producer director. Um, Are you talking about Arch Hall? Arch Hall Jr. Oh, yeah, Arch, Arch Hall, Hall Jr. Okay. They were um, they were a little mean to him in the Mr. Science Theater 3000 uh, episode. Um, and it turns out Arch Hall Jr. is actually a very nice guy. I've heard him on podcasts and such, and he's he's very personable. And he understands Ega's place. <laughs> you know, he doesn't you – know, he, he's not looking at it, but yet but yet Ega's is one of those rare movies that after the first weekend it was out, it made money. You know, it was like that inexpensive to shoot it but his father was the um director and and um did everything with the movie co-starred in it and he was really trying to push his son as the next sort of musical actor mm. you know i don't i don't know i want to say like something like ricky nelson i, I think it's even it goes beyond that but <laughs> you know but it's like he really thought his son could be there right you know and and it just it just wasn't going to work out for him, obviously. But even even with that, Richard Keel comes out of this movie sort of likable and unscathed, amazingly unscathed. Sure. He comes out of Ega. Well, even though, um, you know, this isn't horror or anything, just so the listeners know, uh, the, the premise on this is teenagers stumble across a prehistoric caveman 
who goes on a rampage. That's what it says on IMDb. Yes. yes. Now, it says adventure here. I have seen where it was listed as horror elsewhere. I wouldn't personally classified as horror though. no it's just not i mean there's there's a scene where he's chasing he's got like his club and he's chasing them and they're in this sort of sand like dune buggy you know driving around in the sand and oh. and it's it's really something because he could have swung that club and hit him at any time but he just doesn't i mean it's <laughs> it's 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 a movie i think it's it's along the lines of something maybe from the sci-fi channel yeah where you could just sit there uh, like Mega Piranha, right? I will. I can watch that movie anytime and crack up at Mega Piranha, <laughs> and and it's. I know they're doing it dead serious, but it's so funny. You love trash, <laughs> though. I mean, that's what's great about you. So the yeah, the star rating on IMDb. This has a two point one, and it's in. And the, that's higher than I thought it would be, to be honest <laughs> with you. And it's in the bottom one hundred. It's at number thirty five. It it belongs there. The bottom one hundred. Definitely belongs there. Looking at it for what it how it was, for what was it how it was intended. It was intended as a straight up adventure, sort of an adventure, quasi romance, and it fails miserably at all those levels. They really should have now list it as a comedy. Yeah, because I think that even without the Mister Science Theater three thousand, I think you could have a lot of fun watching this movie and just sort of picking it apart. Sure. Um, but anyway, another one I was just thinking about, and this just came out on Blu-ray from um, Scream Factor. It's not the one I'm going to talk about, but another 80s movie um, that I think sometimes gets lost in the shuffle it's a li- from the later 80s is Pumpkinhead. Oh, I love that film. I, I do, too. And that just came out. They uh, Scream Factory just released that on Blu-ray with gave it their whole sort of, um, you know, with the, with the cover art and everything like they've been doing with a lot of the a lot of their releases. We're going to do that whole um, franchise for certain. All four films. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. We got to get we got to get to that. I mean, I know other podcasts do that, of course, but I want to I'd like to give it the horror movie podcast treatment because that's got Definitely. some very cool stuff in it. Especially the first one. Especially, I'm, you one. know, with uh, Lance Henriksen. Oh, yeah. I think he gives one of because uh, uh, I covered this on the blog. And actually, when I was putting together the trivia for, for uh, Twitter, I found out something very interesting about Lance Henriksen. He could not read till much later in life. He worked a lot as, um, uh, what am I going to say? Almost like a merchant marine type of thing. He's out on, out on a ship. Most of, you know, that's how, where he worked most of his life. He taught himself to read by way of the scripts he was given for movies and such. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he, he did not know how to read prior to that. And he taught himself to read through the movie scripts. Oh, wow. Which is pr- damn impressive. If you're yeah, I mean, you got to admire that for sure. That, you know, but, uh, but anyway, Pumpkinhead is one. That um, another '80s movie. I think that that if when you're voting, uh, sort of <laughs> uh, another one in the '80s column there. The other movie I was going to talk about. It is from uh, a later '80s movie as well. But this is one that I just think I have such a good time with it. And there is, it is partly a comedy, uh, and it is from 1987. It's Street Trash. Be forewarned. Freedom has its price. Yes, there's always a snake in the Garden of Eden. What you got for me today? Today? Ten or five viper. One buck. Here's to you, pussy. <laughs> Don't drink my viper. Watch. <laughs> 
street trash. Okay. <laughs> now, have you heard about this one? Street trash. Um, yes. You know, I don't think I know it, to be honest. Okay. I just like that title. That title. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and street trash, it's... I'll tell you what, it's, it's a fun movie. And again, it's sort of a drippy, gooey kind of thing. Um, nice. It, okay, I like the cover. Seven, yeah, it's really pretty cool. Um, all right. Uh, <laughs> it, it, the movie, okay, it, it opens up with this really cool sequence. There's this, this, this bum named Freddie. He's trying to run from all these people who are out to get him, you know, including one guy who's out to get him. He just stole a, a bottle of booze from him. But anyway, the camera tracks along with him as he's running. And this is in New York. This was shot like in New York City from and like from like that that circa 1980s New York. And it's not the nice areas of the city. Yeah. Yes. You know, and and he's like jumping onto a garbage truck and everything, trying to avoid these people. And the camera's following him as he does all of this. And it's really a cool opening to the movie. It really is. Um, what the movie does is it follows this, this, this group of homeless people in New York. Uh, they live in an auto wrecking yard. There's this guy who owns a liquor store, and he finds this case of something called Viper under the store, under the stairs of his liquor store. Nice. Okay? It's just under there. Mm-hmm. He knows nothing about it. It was, been, it was there when he bought the business, so he knows nothing about this, this Viper. Okay. But he feels there's an opportunity. Maybe I can make some money selling it to the local bums. So he charges a dollar for it. Okay. <laughs> and he sells it to the vagrants. The only problem is Viper has a side effect. Anyone who drinks it melts into a pile of goo. Oh, and nice. it's not a pleasant thing to watch. Let me tell you, <laughs> some of this, the first guy who drinks it, okay, it's funny because Freddie got the first, like, got, got a bottle from this guy. And the guy, the first guy we see actually stole the bottle from Freddie. Nice. Okay. Okay. Uh, but although Freddie himself stole it. So <laughs> I guess, you know, what, what's he going to do? Um, you know, he's not going to report it or anything. But anyway, this guy goes to the, he gets, you know, he's in the junkyard, takes his, he's actually sits on an old discarded toilet. Okay. Okay. Drinks some of the Viper. All right. He begins to ooze this sort of blue out of his mouth, and it changes to red, you know, when it starts, like, coming through his skin. His outer layers, they're like, his, his skin starts melting away. His leg bones snap off. Whoa. The next thing, you know, it's, and he's, he's, so his feet are there, but the rest of his body is going down this toilet. Oh, man. And he just becomes sort of this quivering mass, and he just goes, he basically goes down the toilet. You know, even though it's not connected to anything, it's just sort of there. It's a really gross opening. And this movie has a lot of, this movie delivers on the gross out factor. Nice. Yeah, that's what Whereas Slime Factor didn't, Street Trash does. That's what the cover art depicts here. And um, I like how... There's a pull quote listed on the cover art from, um, you know, a critic. And it says, Eraserhead meets Night of the Living Dead on the set of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Which is weird because you said it's set in New York City and Texas Chainsaw's in Texas, it's, but well, whatever. Well, I, 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 th- I think that guy was trying to be more clever than, uh, than he actually was because right. I wouldn't compare this movie to... I don't know that I'd compare it to any of those three movies. Yeah, it doesn't sound like um, Eraserhead. No, no, maybe, 
closest thing would be to a racer head. That might be the closest thing. Okay. But just because of how goofy, you know, how crazy it is. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you what, it's it's actually and it's a well shot movie too. But what stays with you are the death scenes. I mean, there's one part where this guy drinks it and he actually he's a big guy and he starts expanding. And then Freddie has to run and jump behind a car because he blows up. Oh, another wow. guy drinks it while he's sitting on a, um, you know, outside of the uh, the tenement buildings in in New York. You have that that sort of stairway like, system, like two two seven, like out on the stoop. Yes, the stoop type of thing, <laughs> okay. like almost like not a what, what, what you know what I'm trying to say. I like, said two two seven. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that show. Yeah, but but it's it's like you know one of those type of stair systems. Okay. Where he's sitting on that, which are greats, you know. And he drinks some of this, and he starts melting. And he actually, this this guy is walking by, um, this sort of executive, and looks up, and this guy's part of him drips into this guy's face, and his, the, the the executive's face starts to melt. You know, it's it's just a lot of melting, a lot of sort of gross out stuff going on in street trash. But unlike the other one, this one delivers, and it even has oh the guy um I, I'm not I can't remember his name now. But the guy who was the lead character in Frankenhooker, I can't remember his name now, but he has sort of a cameo in this. Is it James Lorenz? That's it, James Lorenz. Okay. He is in Street Trash. Not a big part. He plays a doorman who actually runs afoul of a mobster. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a cool little memorable scene. And yes, James Lorenz is in it. And he's sort of playing sort of that same sort of wise guy character. <laughs> Uh, not that it's not that his character in Frankenhooker. I wouldn't necessarily call him a wise guy in that movie, but um, definitely in Street Trash, he is it's a small role, but it is memorable. Nice. So, what kind of horror fans out there do you think would enjoy this? It sounds like it's definitely for the the gore crowd, and maybe like I would, the- yes, I think the gore crowd would would enjoy it. Um, and it is it is a comedy. I mean, there are a lot of comedic elements to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get that in the trailer, and and the movie does deliver on those as well. But it's, I think, you know, I, th- I think it's mostly for people who would, who like the gore and who, who, who would be interested in seeing sort of a, uh, a circa 1980 movie shot on the streets of New York. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, kind this of thing. is right out there and not again, not the nice sections of New York. It is in a lot of ways. It's like basket case in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> Although basket case, I think is even more down and dirty than, than street trash. Street trash actually comes off as a little more polished than, than basket case. That's hilarious. But basket case is another movie that I would, uh, from the eighties that I would definitely recommend. <laughs> I just think that movie is yes, uh, so much, so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Basket case. It must see. Pretty wild stuff, right? Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. So what do you rate Street Trash then? I would give Street Trash seven and a half. And I would say I'm gonna say it's a rental. Okay. You know, because I it is it is um it's more gross out than a horror, I think. It almost sounds um, like something you'd rent for um your friends when they come over on Halloween or something, you put it on in the background. Yeah, I could see people doing that. Okay. I could see people doing that, yes. Um, the the on-screen deaths are disgusting. Most of them are disgusting. Okay. okay. And there are there are a number of them. <clears throat> I mean, there's a, a number of people. I mean, you, you're giving away booze to the hobos for a dollar. Right. 
they're going to buy it, and a lot of people are going to drink this stuff, you know? <laughs> and when they do, they, they melt, they explode, they do a whole bunch of different things, <laughs> you know? And, and, and there are other things going on in the movie as well with, with, the, with the characters and stuff, but this is not a very – I wouldn't call this a character-driven movie at all. No. I mean, this movie, it, it relies on its effects and making you sick to your stomach, <laughs> so which, the- it, which it does do. So Dr. Shock says Street Trash from 1987 is a 7.5 out of 10. You should rent it. Absolutely. And I think, again, it's not a horror movie that is – it's not a movie that's really going to scare you, but it's definitely going to sort of get under your it's – it's going to get under your skin, and it's, it's going to sort of stay there for a while with, with what it shows. Okay. Well, that's cool. I'm so glad. I told him at the beginning that you were going to bring it, and I knew – I knew that you would. Thank you. You totally did. (laughs) Thanks. Okay, now this is one that everybody probably has seen. Everybody probably knows about. I still think it's, I personally think it's underappreciated. And what's funny about this film is um, you got to be careful when talking about it. So, Dave, I still don't know how to talk about this film. And we'll get into um, that in a minute. But it's, it's April Fool's Day from 1986 invites you to a party to end all parties. This is the craziest party that could ever be. Don't turn on lights because I don't want to see. April Fool. Welcome to my home and lifestyles of the rich and undeserving. Wrong ones. Join eight privileged guests who are just dying to have fun. The bridal suite? You like it? The ladies. I find it useful. The gentlemen. We, we, we did on the first date. The young. Well, basically, I possess a, an essential lack of seriousness. And the restless. You are such a jerk. Everyone is having such a good time. It's scary. Is something wrong? Radio is blasting. Someone's knocking at the door. I see so many things. I know. Oh, sir. Oh. But no one is. I don't want to see no more. April Fool's Day. Get ready to party till you drop. Rated R starts Thursday, March 27th at a theater near you. Oh, I have not seen this since way back when. Okay. All right. Well. I, and I have this down. This has been on a short list to rewatch for quite a while. Okay. For me to get back to this one. Well, let me make some clarifications here for the listeners in case they're not like, you know, super familiar. Um, th- there is a semi remake from 2008, which I'll be doing a little solo review on on it later in the show because I wanted to give the listeners both reviews so they can, you know, distinguish them and so forth and Uh kind of give you a verdict on it. Um, And that's from 2008. That was a direct video. And I'll talk about that more later on, but this is the one from 1986 and um, it's part of that eighties slasher cycle where, you know, they would pick a holiday, you know, started back with Halloween (laughs) And then they do like, you know, my bloody Valentine, Valentine's Day and 
of course, Friday the 13th, not that that's a holiday, but you had right. stuff on prom night and graduation Happy birthday day. to me. Yeah, and it was always some kind of a gimmick, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this gimmick is for April Fool's Day. Now, side note here, uh, honestly, and I'm not joking about this either, I think it would be awesome to make a horror film called Arbor Day, right? That's the tree holiday. Wow. <laughs> well, wait. <laughs> You're like, wow. No, but before you dismiss it, I think I would love, I'd love to see this in theaters as a modern film. Um, It would be Arbor Day. It would be a slasher. And oh, I was going to say, what well, were you looking for a sequel to The Happening? And the, no, no, no. And the killer, wait, the, the slasher, his his instrument of death would be a an, an edge trimmer, like a weed whacker, right? Because okay. if you've ever used a serious one of those... Yeah, those those going to be pretty nasty. I mean, that is scary and it's like why ha- why why haven't they made horror films where this was the slasher weapon? So if anybody out there horror filmmakers or screenwriters, if you guys end up doing that, just give me a story by credit and I'll be thrilled. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I and don't if even you do a little research on it. I'm pretty sure that um you can check out it's Arbor Day Charlie Brown. Oh, <laughs> I, I know that Charlie Brown covered Arbor Day. As a matter of fact, other than your suggestion, I th- as far as I know, Charlie Brown is the only person who covered Arbor Day. Well, see, see, this is a this needs to be covered. Then I mean, it's wide open, people out there. So Arbor Day, mm-hmm. and it's a slasher film, and I don't even want any money from it. Just oh. give me a story by credit, because it would be payment enough to see the film made. I would love that. Anyways, nice. Um, okay, so April Fool's Day. Now, this makes um, a lot of people hate this film, and it makes them angry. I think I remember. I hope I'm not misquoting him, but I think our friend Bill Shetty just this film ticks him off. And Gregor Gregor Mortis may or may not have said that this film is like you know just irk irksome, and so. It's it's one of those films that's like you know of course it's a it's a surprise I mean there's there's more to it than it seems and so if you haven't seen this you know protect yourself from spoilers and that's what I wanted to talk about Dave is I I'd like to discuss this film but it, it's, it's just hard it's very challenging um, and it so, is a challenge yeah and so you and I will just will be super careful and respectful of the listeners. Who and again, it. it's been a long time since I've seen it. Okay, well, don't so worry. Gonna, I'm going to have to sort of rely on you a little bit more on this one. But I do know where, obviously, where a lot of the um, the controversy, because this movie was, among horror fans, it is a little bit controversial. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and some people, some people, even though it's, it's a... It's a slasher. Some people might not even call it a horror film, which is really interesting about this movie. Mm-hmm. That's why I think the listeners, if you haven't seen April Fool's Day from 1986, you should definitely see it just so you can have this experience because I think it's a good time. But this opens, this is bookended. It it opens and closes. Um, there's a jack-in-the-box. And I've always wondered where my, um, because I think jack-in-the-boxes are kind of, creepy or unsettling or something oh yeah because when they pop up it's scary right like i mean absolutely one of the funnier scenes in in elf with will farrell is when he's testing those things and he's <laughs> sitting there and he knows it's going to pop up but yet it still scares the hell out of him it, every it, time it does it, it's exactly like opening those um can of biscuits you know from the store or cinnamon rolls yes, you got to pop that thing and it's like uh-huh. is this gonna blow my hand off like you know right. so anyways um 
but the opening scene with the Jack in a Box, I think is, I just love it. I think it's brilliant. And um, it, it just makes me so happy. I can't even tell you any more about it. But anyway, <laughs> this film, what I one thing that I love and appreciate about this film, and it's actually part of its um, brilliance, is that this film is filled, it celebrates its holiday, you know, throughout the film. It, it is filled right. with practical jokes. I mean, um, these characters are really living up April Fool's Day, and I love how you get the spirit of April Fool's Day throughout the entire film. I think that's super cool yep. and brilliant. And then, because literally, just so people know, because maybe I think some people probably get annoyed. It's like, you know, doorknobs are coming off, people turn on sinks and the water sprays in their face. And and even though, like, a lot of it's, like, dumb humor you know, uh-huh. it's jokey stuff, but it's like, well, you're in a slasher film, you've got dumb characters, and they're playing jokes on each other, and it's like, okay, well, go kill each other, you know, like that kind right. of thing. <laughs> uh, this does, and I'm sure you don't remember this, Dave, but um, I know th- that you would love this, but it's got one of those cat jumps out of the dark and screams oh, scenes. <laughs> We should just make, we should start a running list of all the films that do that. And it's going to be a lot of them. Just for fun. (laughs) Yeah, we should. I agree. Because that's hilarious. Another little notable um, thing I want to say about this film is, you know, it's from 86. The, the, The score, if you listen to the music, this score is so reminiscent and, and it precedes, it predates the X-Files score you know that X-Files theme song? Yes. There is so much of the X-Files in this that I, I really wonder if wow. if this movie's score ended up morphing or somehow becoming the X-Files theme. <laughs> That's pretty cool to me. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, the, the thing is, as far as like the, the kills and stuff, I mean, you, you've got a lot of characters taken out one by one like you do in a traditional slasher and everything, but... But they're, the kills are all off screen, and it's, you always see the aftermath, like the gore of it. And um, there's a scene, one of the most effective scenes involves a well, and I think that's uh, pretty creepy stuff. And also there's another scene involving a snake, and it reminds me of a, you know, something we're going to be talking about in October in Halloween 3, which is pretty awesome. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you got that too. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would probably be um, annoyed that like the, the kills are off screen and it's just kind of an aftermath type of film. Right. But it's got some gore to it as far as that goes. Now, as far as um, people's complaint, I can't go into what the current controversy is all about because I just really think you should see the film. Yeah. Because of its historical, I don't want to say importance, but but I think it is. Um, I think it stands out because of the controversy. But uh-huh. what's interesting to me is that um, after you watch this film, just remember that I said this. Think about this statement. Um, you know, this film t- takes us to a place and drops us off and leaves us the same place that any other horror film takes us to. And, and I'll defend that maybe on a later episode, or if anybody wants to talk about that in the comments, um, I, I really think that's profound, what I just said. Not that I'm a profound guy, 
but I, I think it's really profound and I would like to like battle some haters about this, but we'd have to go into full-blown spoilers and I just don't want to do that. So I just want to encourage people when you do watch this, because I'm giving it a, a 7.5 out of 10, I'm calling it a rental because I think it's it's clever and it's fun. And I think that when you do watch this, when it's all said and done and when it's over, just like Rawhead Rex, which I reviewed earlier, I mean... It, it takes you to the same places and leaves you off in the same places. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very similar experience. So I just want to say that. But April Fool's Day from 1986 is a 7.5 out of 10. And I say rent it. You have any more to say about that one? I know it's been a while since you've seen it. No, I don't really have too much to add. I do uh, know that it's one that I, I desperately want to get back to, though. Okay. Well, let I me know when you do. Them. I definitely will. I'll tell you what we'll do. When you rewatch that, please, mm-hmm. please let me know. And then we'll do like um, in a future episode after like the episode's over, mm-hmm. <laughs> after the like the outro and stuff, um, we'll talk about it briefly because I want to get into that spoiler yeah, stuff. Sure. Because I've got some points to make on it and um, I want to defend this film. Anyway, so that's April Fool's Day. Okay, now for this next review, I'm actually solo casting here again because it was recorded at a different time, but we'll be joining back with Dr. Shock later. You just now heard a review of the original April Fool's Day from 1986, and now I wanted to make sure that you got the scoop on the straight-to-DVD pseudo-remake of April Fool's Day from 2008. Now, I call it a pseudo-remake because it's one of those films that borrows about half of the material from the original. And then the other half is just kind of a reimagining where they kind of just do their own thing and bring you a whole different concept. So the first thing I want you to know about this movie is definitely see the 1986 film. (laughs) Don't watch this one just because it's newer. It's a mistake. This film plays just like a soap opera and I'd actually classify it as a mystery slash drama I wouldn't really call this a horror film. It's a real stretch to call it a horror film. It tries to be a slasher, but it's so weak that it's hard to call it horror. And I'll tell you right now up front, just so you can get it out of your head of being tempted to rent this. This is a 3 out of 10. This is in a void. But just to give you a little more on it, just so you know where I'm coming from, this film is filled with beautiful people. And first and foremost is actress Taylor Cole, who is stunningly beautiful. Now, I don't want to sound like a creep here, but if there's one reason to watch this film, it's to just look at how impossibly beautiful this actress is. It's amazing. But her character in this movie is an absolute biatch. <laughs> so that really kills my feelings toward good looking people. And that kind of ruins it for me. So, and really, that's kind of the point of this movie. The premise is you've got this group of very rich, very good-looking friends who are just awful people. And the lead girl that I was talking about, uh, she plays this big April Fool's Day prank on one of the friends, and it goes horribly wrong, and the victim of the joke dies. Now, that's not a spoiler. It's just part of the premise. And so, on April Fool's Day, a year later, which in this film is in 2008, You've got this I know what you did last summer situation where this group of friends is threatened by a mysterious someone that they will have to confess to actually murdering this girl or they'll all be killed off one by one on April Fool's Day. 
Now, I know that sounds decent, right? Because we like that kind of stuff. But trust me on this one. This thing is a snooze fest. It's terribly boring. Like I said, it plays like a soap opera. I call it a mystery, a drama. You only need to see the 1986 version of April Fool's Day. Once again, 3 out of 10. It's in a void. But look up Taylor Cole on IMDb. And I'd like to see... Well, I was going to say... I would like to see more of her in horror films, but she's not a great actress, to be honest. I mean, she looks good, but her performance isn't that convincing. (laughs) She doesn't pull it off very well, at least not in this film. Maybe she's better in other films. So anyway, that's my review of April Fool's Day from 2008. Okay, now we got some time for some listener feedback here, and I just wanted to play a voicemail that we got. I love getting voicemails here on Horror Movie Podcast, and you guys are welcome to call in and leave us voicemail anytime you want. Honestly, that'd be tremendous. Um, Our voicemail line is 801-382-8789. And just a heads up, this voicemail has spoilers for Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from 1960. Let's give this one a listen. Hey there, guys. Uh, This is uh, TJ Fowler. I live in Finland, but I'm from Tennessee. I just wanted to call and say I'm a new listener to the podcast and a fan of it. And I was listening to a uh, somewhat older uh, episode, episode 18, I believe. And you were talking about starting to add in other genres to your podcast uh, outside of horror. And I wanted to plan on this because I feel kind of strongly about this topic. I know you had a poll question. I don't know if you came up with a resolution to this topic or not. But uh, I want to say please don't. Don't do that. I've been listening to, or I had been listening to another podcast that I shall not name, but uh, they were a horror movie podcast, and they started going and reviewing movies such as Captain America, The Winter Soldier, X-Men, I believe, or they may have done that one, or basically not horror movies, and they justify the reason they were doing this, and they were specifically supposed to be a horror podcast. I just don't think it's a good idea, and I, I raised my concerns with them, and they tried to defend it, saying, well, we watch this movie, it's got a monster in it. Okay, well, like the Avengers. I think they reviewed the Avengers or something, uh, one of the Avengers movies. I think it's a bad idea because I don't listen to them anymore. And I found you, uh, you guys just recently, and I saw that you review a lot of horror. So if you could just stick to the horror, and I understand there's movies that kind of overlap a little bit. That's, that's kind of normal but uh, in some cases, but when you're starting to review Captain America and – Avengers and Godzilla and, and things like that. It's just, it's not horror. Things like, you know, I would even go as far as to say if you want to overlap some stuff like Doc Shock kind of, uh, alluded to partly, uh, like post apocalyptic type stuff. Yes, that can be horror if it's done a certain way. But, uh, as an example, I think a movie that, that you guys included on a podcast, Psycho. Uh, I don't personally consider Psycho a horror film in the sense that people consider horror films today. Now, back in 1960, they may have, I don't know. But Psycho essentially is a thriller, but it's got horror elements. You know, I understand covering a movie like Psycho because the audience is sitting there looking when they're watching the movie. You got somebody that looks like a woman stabbing people in showers, and it all turns out to be some sort of crazy man that's got mother issues going on. And the way they convey that in the movie, I can see why it would be covered in a horror podcast because it's got elements of that. But uh, I'm with Jay on this. Okay, I didn't cut him off there. That's actually where the recording cuts off. It just so happened that it stops after he says, but I'm with Jay on this. And, um, you know, I know Wolfman Joshua accused me of (laughs) cutting it off when he agreed with me. But (laughs) anyway, TJ, thanks so much for your voicemail. The first thing I want to say is I agree with you. 
So don't worry. Um, Horror Movie Podcast is a horror movie podcast, period. We're going to keep it strictly horror. That idea we had talked about before that Doc brought up, I invited Dr. Shock to uh, do that kind of coverage on Movie Podcast Weekly where we cover all sorts of genres. And that's why we have our sister site over there to do that kind of thing. But this podcast is going to be a horror movie podcast, period. Now, I will say, for example, with Godzilla, I agree that's not a horror movie, but since Godzilla is one of the classic monsters, I mean, I consider Godzilla a quote-unquote classic monster in the same way. I mean, he's like a second-tier classic monster. I mean, first tier would be Dracula, the mummy, Frankenstein's monster, the wolfman, etc., We should do this at one point on this podcast just because we're so weird about this kind of stuff. We like to spell out these kind of things very specifically. This is something I have to sort out with my co-hosts. We should look at how to classify monsters because I think it's very interesting. Anyways, I'm digressing and getting off on a tangent, but I just wanted to say that was our purpose for covering Godzilla. I definitely don't think that's a horror film, but... Think Godzilla is a classic monster. And as far as Psycho goes, you probably heard our episode on proto slashers. I get what you mean because there's like, for a long time, there's not horror in that movie, but I consider it a horror film because it is a proto slasher. But I definitely hear your argument on that, TJ, for sure. But uh, the bottom line is, I'm totally with you. Don't worry, this is going to stick to strictly a horror movie podcast, but you will hear, as you've heard in this very episode, (laughs) with our tangents on EGA and all that stuff, like Dr. Shock, we love to go off on tangents and we try to rein it in a little bit, but we're, we're such movie nuts, it's just fun to talk about all that stuff. But yeah, in terms of our hardcore reviewing, it's just going to be horror. But I really appreciate your voicemail and thanks for calling in. And I'm curious, like, yeah, your accent, I thought you sounded like maybe you were from Tennessee because I'm from West Virginia. But I was like wondering, well, how how is he in Finland? What's he doing there? And I wondered if you're in the military or whatever. I know it's none of my damn business, but <laughs> I just <laughs> I just thought that was cool. We also got an email here from TJ, and since, you know, he left a voicemail and a first-time email, and this is, I wanted to read this as well because this is kind of exciting to me. He said, hi, I just recently started tuning into your podcast and really enjoyed it. I called in the other day and was talking about how I think you shouldn't deviate too far from doing horror movies. Sorry if I talked too long. Anyway, I just want to say I think your podcast is really great, and you guys are very educated about the genre. And I really enjoy listening to the show. Since I live in Finland, I was hoping to suggest a few horror movies from here that you might want to check out. Now, this is very exciting to me, TJ. Thank you for these. These are going on the list. And if I can track these down, which I assume I'm hoping we can, I'm definitely going to check these out. The first one, everybody, is, um, boy, I, I don't know how to pronounce its original title. And I don't even know if I can try. <laughs> it looks like Vulcanine Pura, but it translates, I guess, to White Reindeer from 1952. And he said this movie is actually a pretty famous classic horror movie from Finland about a woman in Lapland who is born a witch and doesn't know it. Later in life, she visits a shaman for help with her love life and instead gets turned into a vampiric white reindeer. Now that sounds awesome to me. (laughs) I just, I love it when animals are monsters, like in Blood Creek when you have a zombie horse, for example. I think that's super cool. He says, this is not as cheesy as it sounds and incorporates local folklore of the region into the film. 
If you can find this, I recommend checking it out. It used to be on YouTube with English subtitles, so I'm definitely going to try to look that up. And I'll tell you what I do. If I do see it on YouTube, I'll just link that YouTube video there in the show notes for this episode as well. The second one is a film called Sauna from 2008. He said, this is more recent and you may have seen this, but sauna are pretty popular here in Finland. So they made a horror movie about them and how they can kill you. (laughs) Now, from looking at the cover art here on this, it looks like there's a person in the woods. And so I'm thinking of that bathhouse area for a sauna and uh, forgive my ignorance, but That's just what kind of comes to mind. It's the bathhouse sauna. And that reminds me of a movie from 2011. It stars a scout, Taylor Compton, and it's called 247 Degrees Fahrenheit. But, you know, they just list the F symbol there. And that movie should have been better, but I still really enjoy it. I mean, it is like a, I think I rated it like a five, you know, my very... The cutoff point for where you would rent something, but it's low priority rental. But the premise of that is four friends travel to a lakeside cabin for a carefree weekend, but the fun turns into a nightmare when three of them end up locked in a hot sauna. <laughs> and every minute counts, and every degree matters as they fight for their lives in the heat up to 247 degrees Fahrenheit. Anyway, that's something to check out. I love stuff like that. If people know about movies like this, tell them to me. Jay of the Dead wants to hear about it because that's exciting cinema. I love that stuff. So I hope Sauna is about that kind of thing too. I will be looking for that, TJ. And thanks so much for your voicemail and your email. And uh, we appreciate you. So keep in touch with us. Okay, now this next email comes from our friend and listener Holly and I I love it when we find out that there are um, female horror fans out there because I think and I'm not um, pandering here but I just want to say I think it's super cool when there are female horror fans I just you know because I don't know a lot of them to be honest with you I I really don't so I love hearing from the ladies of horror movie podcasts (laughs) that sounded so weird Anyway, the title is Just Some Good News, and Holly wrote, she said, Hey Jay and everyone over at Horror Movie Podcast, I wanted to share a bit of good news with you. I found out that I'm pregnant with my first child, and Rosemary's Baby is my favorite horror movie. (laughs) Well, I couldn't pass up such a golden opportunity, so to tell my family the good news, I drew a little movie poster, and she attached a PDF here, and Holly, I hope you don't mind. This is really awesome. I'm going to include this in the show notes for this episode. So if you click, you know, listeners, if you click to um, view all of the show notes for episode 25, you'll be able to see Holly's picture in there that she drew. She said, I thought you guys would appreciate it. Also, Jay, in light of my new upcoming status of mom, I would love to use your term necromomicon. (laughs) I love puns, especially really cheesy ones. And hearing that made me <laughs> made me laugh and my husband's eyes were rolling. It's perfect. Keep up the amazing work. I'm really looking forward to your October shows. Take care, Holly. So, Holly, that's such an awesome email. It made my day when I got this um, there at the end of August. It was super cool. Really appreciate it. And congratulations on being a mom. I'm telling you, parenthood is the greatest thing in the world. I I love it even more than movies. So I think you're going to enjoy it. And kids are 
monsters. <laughs> so I just want to say that. Thanks for the picture. Okay, and I just got one more thing to say here. I want to make sure to make a special note of this. Um, we've had some very generous donors. We're so grateful for the people who have been donating financially to Horror Movie Podcast because I'm telling you, each review <laughs> of these Halloween movies, a lot of them are 90 minutes long, and some of them are an hour long. But still, I mean, we're probably, in October, you're probably going to get somewhere around 15 hours of content on the Halloween movies, and I'll be talking about that more in just a couple minutes. But in order to post that kind of content, we really need help, and people have been stepping up. And so I just wanted to thank um, our generous donors, our friend Eric of North Carolina, hooked us up. Thank you so much. We got a recurring donation from Juan, and uh, thank you, Juan. Juan's very supportive. And also want to thank Allison from Oregon for the donation. And uh, I want to start making a list, because honestly, these Halloween episodes, I have a feeling from what I'm seeing of how they're turning out, I have a feeling uh, you guys and gals are going to love them. And they are brought to you by people like Eric and Juan and Allison. And uh, we've had some other donors prior to this as well that I mentioned in previous episodes. But thank you so much. If anybody wants to donate over at our sister site, Movie Podcast Weekly, in the right-hand sidebar, you can scroll down and we have PayPal buttons and you can choose how you'd like to donate, and we always appreciate it. Thank you. All right, before we wrap up this show, I got Dave back here with me. I recorded by myself at a different time, but I got Dave. I was going to say, you're quick. I, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, before we close out the show tonight, I just want to encourage, maybe even challenge everyone out there to watch the entire Halloween franchise along with us for this October 2014. Yeah. Because... For episodes 27 through 31, we're going to release an episode every Friday in October. So, for example, on October 3rd, make sure you've revisited the first three Halloween movies in preparation for those reviews because they're going to be in-depth. We're going to talk spoilers, and I think you'll just have a lot more fun if you've recently seen the films. And then the following Friday on October 10th, we'll bring you in-depth reviews of Halloween 4, 5, and 6. So try to get to those. And then the next Friday after that is October 17th. We'll be reviewing H2O and Resurrection. So join us. And then the Friday after that, the 24th, we've got an epic episode where we review Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 and 2, both those movies. And then finally, on Halloween Day for um, October 31st, 2014, it's a Friday. We'll bring you a franchise overview where we talk about the entire Halloween franchise as a whole. And we're going to even talk about the documentary called Halloween 25 Years of Terror. So anyway, if if you can watch all 10 films with us along the way, you'll be in great shape to listen to that overview discussion. And I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll go ahead and list the schedule that I just read off to you. I'll list that in the sidebar at horrormoviepodcast.com so you'll know exactly which movies we're covering and when we're right. doing that. And then the other reason we'd like you to watch along with us is because um, from time to time during the reviews, we ask for the listeners' opinions on certain things. I know we ask several questions of the listeners when we review Halloween 3, for example. And so we like to get your feedback on the comment boards and keep the discussion going because these are going to be really epic episodes and we want you to participate as much as possible. And then 
maybe just for fun, Dave, we'll have a poll question in the side there where people can just kind of cast a vote if they've revisited the film along with us. I think that'd be fun. Absolutely. So we got that. And then finally, speaking of comments, I finally, and I mean finally, you guys, I got our website set up where you can leave a comment and then check mark a little box there that will generate emails sent to you if anyone leaves responses or additional comments. And then there's also another checkbox below that one where you can receive this very nice looking email whenever we release a new episode. It has the artwork in it and the show notes and everything. So you can find those little checkboxes there beneath where you leave the comments and the show notes for any episode at horrormoviepodcast.com. Thanks for your patience on that. And then my final plug before I kick it over to the doctor here is that I have a new segment over on Movie Podcast Weekly called Jay of the Dead's 1970s Horror-thon, and that's in preparation for the best horror movies of the 1970s episode. I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be crazy. So I'm, you know, I, I needed to, like, beef up on my 70s horror, as you could probably hear earlier, and I'm delving into as many of those as I can in preparation, and I'll only be covering the stuff that I watch on movie podcast weekly and you're going to hear the best stuff that i find on our show of course when we do our big episode but um there's going to be a lot of 70s horror coverage that you won't get unless you check out our sister site movie podcast weekly and wolfman josh is over there with me too so you know come join us but anyway what about you dr shock what kind of plugs do you have for the listeners uh, yeah, check me out, obviously, uh, DVDinfatuation.com, the blog. I'm still going strong. I think I'm uh, 14 away from 1,500 now, so I'm closing <laughs> in on another milestone here. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking uh, – I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do for 1,500 yet. Uh, one thing I did find, and I, I've, I had to put this together, I, I found that uh, there's a lot of areas that I want to cover – and now that I'm getting down to the last thousand movies, um, you know, a lot of things that I'm looking to cover that I haven't done yet. So I actually am putting together themes for each month. Nice. Okay, now October's obviously going to be, I've already talked about that one, that's going to be horror from the post 2000. Mm-hmm. But like in May coming up, I'm going to have a Jallo month because I've not done many Jallo. I think I've done like two, okay. maybe three Jallos. Um, but I'm talking like all different ones. Like for the rest of uh, September, I'm going to be looking at like the screwball comedies from the 1930s. Nice. Just things that, and, and I had to do that. I had to plan it out all the way out to the last month that will get me to 2,500 because there are just so many areas that I've I've not gotten to them yet as much as I would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some horror ones thrown in there as well, like I said. Um, and then uh, for next October, I'm going to be looking at uh, some of the like classic, old classic sort of horror movies, even going back to the days of the silence, like The Man Who Laughs. Um, I've got that listed down there. The Gollum, um, the uh, the Phantom Carriage. Nice. Um, you know things like that. So uh, it's 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 it'll still be there. And what it is is I'm only I'm only filling it up for half of the month. Mm-hmm. Like I picked total, so the Jalo month is only going to be half of the month to look at that, which will still give me half of the month to do my sort of random 
pick a movie out that type is, of thing. That is great. I'm excited about that. And we've got people already really excited for what you're going to do in October there with the newer oh, horror. We've, we've had comments on that. I did I see some wait. of the comments, and I definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm gonna be taking a look at some that people have heard before, but I'm also going to be taking a look at some that, um, you know, are obscure. That's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's, wow, it's coming up soon. We're already at, uh, we're already in September here, and we're already in double-digit September, so. I know. Uh, but, yeah, and, um, you know, you can check me out at Twitter, uh, at DVD Infatuation. And uh, my other podcast is Land of the Creeps, and I think that's landofthecreeps.com, all one word. And uh, it was uh, it was good, Jay. You know, it's funny because we always start we always start out one way, and then the conversations always sort of branch off in different directions. <laughs> but um, and like you were saying, we have a, a pretty big uh, something pretty big in store for October. Oh my goodness! And it really is taking a lot of the time away. <laughs> So, you know, if you just bear with us through September and, um, you know, and I, I personally, I think this episode has something to offer and I hope the fans will uh, enjoy it, mm-hmm. but uh, bear with us, you know, October is going to be good. And then we do have um, some theme episodes that we're planning to do. Well, yeah, I mean, in, well. in episode 25 here, they got Slime City, they got Rawhead Rex, and they got Street Trash. I mean, that's three... <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, three good times right there. Yep, so. absolutely. So, um, yep, that's all I got. All right. Well, I'm glad you could be here. Thank you. And don't forget to check out our buddy Wolfman Josh Legary. The best place you you can follow him is on Twitter at Icarus Arts, and we've got his other links as well. They're all in the show notes there. Um, he usually just promotes his Twitter, and you can find pretty much everything he's doing through there and he's also with me over at movie podcast weekly as well so follow wolfman on twitter well i think that just about wraps up episode 25 of horror movie podcast we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this show we love your comments and you can get involved in our community there by just leaving comments and you can also email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com And we love voicemails, so you can leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes, all 25, as well as our back archives of the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis at our site, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes and just leave us a comment because aside from donating money the best way you can support the show is to leave us a review in itunes and for example it doesn't have to be fancy or take a lot of your time we got an itunes review recently the title was great and it was five stars and it was by gats 905 and gats wrote great cast and that was it and thanks gats we really appreciate that because just that much helps you can follow us on twitter at horror movie cast and i want to take time to thank fred ingram for the use of his music for our horror movie podcast theme song we just got a nice compliment on fred's music in that theme song on twitter from a guy named willis whose handle is at armored foe he wrote i love the opening and closing music you use a very subtle opening and closing to a great podcast so thanks again willis for letting us know that and um i know fred appreciates that as well He lets us use that music for free 
which is very gracious of Fred. So you guys can check out more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. I'll have it linked in the show notes. And just for the record, the name of the song that we use is called Wilderness. Anyway, I think that's it for episode 25. We thank you for listening, and you can join us again in two weeks for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horror Movie Podcast.